the Seneca Podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs in China, coming to you from the pop-up Chinese studio here in Beijing. I'm Kaiser Guo, joined, of course, by the one and only Jin Yumi, sometimes also known as Jeremy Goldcorn, the man behind Anime.com. How are you, Jeremy? I'm doing very, very well indeed, Kaiser. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good, man. Okay. It's All a right. lovely summer day in Beijing. I'd just like to point out to people who are depressed about the city that it's really beautiful today. It is, and PM 2.5 reading of only like 102. It's I wasn't like, even thinking about PM 2.5. I was thinking about the blue sky. So, Jeremy, anyone in the Anglophone world who pays any attention whatsoever to goings-on in China, whether they're students or scholars or journalists or bloggers or investors or entrepreneurs or whatever, um, or just people who are just you know intellectually curious and want to keep current on what's happening in this fascinating country, uh, they're almost certainly already a devotee of the Sinicism newsletter, which is, of course, the single most comprehensive and useful source for China-related news. Published in English today, I would venture to say. Today, we welcome Bill Bishop, who Evan Osnos of The New Yorker once called the China Watcher's China Watcher. Uh, he is the tireless and truly formidable man who, day in and day out, weekday, weekday weekends alike, um, through crazy bad air days and despite the incessant demands placed on him by his twin seven-year-old daughters, produces this invaluable resource. Bill, of course, is or at least was a regular guest on Seneca, although is allergy to cat dander and his very demanding schedule sometimes keep him from coming on the show as much as we'd like him to but when he does he always brings of course a depth of knowledge to whatever topic we have at hand so today prophylactically prepped with a secret cocktail of antihistamines and after aggressive vacuuming and the installation of top of the line air filters he is back with us in the pop-up studios so for the next 40 minutes or so we're going to take uh, a closer look at Bill Bishop and his work to give our listeners a sense of what makes Bill tick and what compels him to keep providing this most useful of services. I am proud to count him among my very bestest of friends, and on this episode of Seneca, we honor him for his great contributions. How do you like that blowjob there, Bill? That was great. I was just thinking this must be also the jump the shark moment. So <laughs> you, you laid it on pretty thick there, Kaiser. Yeah, anyway. And Baidu is a great company. Buy the stock. It's going to 200. Thank you. And Jeremy, we, we love Dan Up. Good. A Pearson All right. company. All right. Um, enough of the circle, Jack. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Well, no, seriously. Uh, Bill, why don't we start off with a, a biographical sketch um, in the evolution of a China watcher, as it were. Um, you were first year, what, 24 years ago when you were still a college student during a rather... Go, it actually goes way back. If you, if you for, for listeners out there who speak Chinese, you probably know the concept of yuan fun, right? Which uh-huh. is sort of like fate, right? Some of you may think it's crazy, some of you not. But so I have a, a, a great-great-grandfather who um, uh, made a fortune in sugar in Cuba and uh, ended up taking his fortune and amassing what at the time was the biggest collection of jade outside of China, which when he died in uh, early 20th century, like 1902, he donated to the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. Uh-huh. So there's what's known as the Bishop Jade Collection. Oh, wow. Okay. Unfortunately, there's also the Chinese term of fu bu guo san dai, right, which is that the fortunes never go past three generations. And thanks to some very dissolute uh, uh Progeny, all the money was gone by the time I got to my generation. Was it but so, sorry? Or hookers and blow? Or, or I think at the time it was liquor in the crash of 29. Okay, okay. But um, so so that was it. And, and he has some priceless collections in his uh, priceless artifacts, his collections. That was sort of a weird China connection. And then actually when I was born, my parents were uh, renting a house in Maryland. And the owner of that house was uh, uh, Jim Lilly. Oh, really? Who, James who, Lilly, right. James Lilly, right, who people will know as one of the uh, most consummate uh, – and the China hands, top China, China, the China hands, China hands, literally, uh, who ended up being ambassador uh, up through uh, right before the Tiananmen Square protests. Actually, right after. Sorry. 
So the day before, the day after, brings us up to the Tiananmen protests where right. you. So, so I started. Day. So actually, so to keep going, where I went to high school in in DC, uh, we actually had one of the first, if not the first, uh, Chinese language uh, program at a high school in America. Uh, I of course didn't take it, but it started in 1983 or 84 because a student uh, had an alumni alumnus had gone to China in 1981 or 82 and. I think got in Japanese encephalitis and died, and his parents had some money, so they endowed this Chinese China Studies program at Sidwell Friends in in, in DC. And in 1984, Zhao Ziyang actually visited when he when he came as um, as premier on a state visit to the U.S. He actually came to the school because this was the first you know first Chinese studies program. I of course wasn't taking Chinese. All the Chinese students were invited as a guest of the Chinese government for a three week trip to China that summer. And one of my best friends got to go pose you up at the bar in Zhongnan High with Zhao Ziyang, which is still a great story. Wow. So going on from there, I went, when I went to college, I went to Middlebury. Uh, this was 1986. Middlebury, of course. In Vermont. In Vermont, which right. has like the world's greatest Chinese language. Well, it has, a lot of, it has a very good, several very good language programs. And at the time, 1986, Japan was going to take over the world. And so there were li- literally a line out the door to go to first year Japan. Was, was Tim Light dean at that point? No. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and uh, he's a China guy. I had I had taken French in high school and had spent a month in France, I think after a freshman or sophomore year, and was so traumatized that I was never going to take French women. again. Yeah. Well, the host mom, there was an American college student at the house too, and she was having he was having an affair with the host mom, and it was just sort of the whole thing was just <laughs> kind of bad. But anyway, so so, so you chose uh, a wholesome place where things like that would never happen. Well, right? Of course, right? <laughs> How do you say and, cougar in French, by the way? <laughs> no idea. Okay, all, right. Um, all right, I think we're getting a little too granular here. No, no, it's just it's it's hurry the narrative on. We're in we're in high school. No, because actually, I think it's so so so. Actually, uh, there is a point to this ramble. So, so when I was in Middlebury, Japanese was sort of done. Russia looked too cold and too hard. So I figured, I'd whatever, I'll try Chinese. And um, at the time, I hated Chinese food. I had no interest in. I just was into it because of the language. And actually, through the language, got fascinated. And my first reaction was, what, what kind of people think up this crazy language, right? Because it's a, <laughs> seriously, right? You know, you sort of get into it. And then um, in 1989, I came here for the spring semester. I think it was on the I forget if the program I think it was a CET program or uh-huh. the CIET yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever it's called, and um, happened to be 1999 the spring of 1989 when all the stuff went down and so I stayed here through end of June I ended up working for about uh, two months for CBS News as kind of a fixer running around when all the stuff was going on and then when I went back obviously you know the realization I had was I th- I'd studied three years of Chinese and thought I knew Chinese, and then I realized I had no idea what was going on. Right. And so I sort of said, okay, I'm going to go back, and maybe I'm going to try harder to learn the language. So I went back, graduated, and then the year after I graduated, I spent a year at IUP back when it was in Taiwan. Uh-huh. Um, and then from there, I came in, in 91, late 91 to middle 93, I was actually working in Beijing. That's um, actually when we met, right? I mean, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We met at the um, Friendship, Friendship Hotel, Hotel yeah. pool. Yeah, yeah. Like Kaiser met, was... Quite the man at the pool. Man. <laughs> this was before he was married. So. I didn't even want to think about, about that. My, my diving ability. Well, there are other things that we were talking about, but anyway. So, so, um, so we, that's when we first met, and then the year eighteen months I was here back then. I mean, it was a great time to be here. I was uh, I was working uh, actually as a as a translator at what is now gone, but at the time it was a Chinese literature press translating. Uh, short stories for panda imprints. Oh wow! You actually studied translation and interpretation, nope. right? No, nope. no, nope. nope. it was. Um, and then um, I had also had a job as a clipper for the Baltimore Sun. Okay. So I, the way I look at it is, I've just become a digital clipper, sort of evolved. 
But, Slow, Bill, uh, yeah, this story hasn't... I mean, your Chinese is pretty damn good, right? I mean, you read very, very quickly in Chinese, both Fanti and Gentizza. So w- where did that come from? Uh, well, the, the, the basically six, including summer school, six years of academic training right. plus a full year of being a translator. You did Monterey, too, or is that... No, just Middlebury Summer School. And then IUP in Taiwan. And then, well, SAIS isn't really about the language. SAIS, I did SAIS, but I did the DC program for two years. Okay, so when, and that was when, China when, when, studies, and specifically, oh, right. the focus was very heavy on Chinese politics. My advisor uh, was Alice Miller, who's still one of the sort of best people in the field. Well, let's talk Chinese about politics. Alice. I mean, he, I mean, I know I have an awful lot of respect for her too. I mean, when I when I see uh, you know her take on on, on in, in in certain fora, uh, tell tell me about your relationship with Alice. Uh, I have a lot of respect for her. Um, You know, we still talk occasionally by email. Uh At the time, uh, I think she started her career with Russian, and she's a Soviet expert. Uh, Very, very, very serious academic, very, very knowledgeable, and very disciplined. Um, And it was very interesting last year when all this stuff with Bo Xilai and the 18th Party Congress was going on because – you know, Miller, Dr. Miller has had, for good or bad, has had a framework of how she looks at Chinese politics that, you know, she's developed over three or four decades. And uh, what was interesting, we, we had a class on Chinese politics in 94, 95, and spent several hours talking about how the Western media and the Hong Kong media covered Chinese politics and effectively deconstructing these reports and then saying this is sort of what's a rumor and how they did the analysis. And it was actually kind of striking how... 20 years on, I sort of pulled pulled back sort of what I learned from him. I was like, oh, same thing applies still. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I mean, we'll talk about some of these other, these alternative news sources and and, and about rumors uh, just down there a little bit. But let's move along with your, your own timeline. So uh, after you'd, you'd worked here for the Panda Imprints in 91 through 93, uh, you were back in the States then, right? All right. Went back to SICE in D.C. for two years. Um, and the, the summer was actually, I was an intern at the U.S. China Business Council in Beijing from a couple weeks, and then my fellowship didn't come through, so I needed to get, make money. So I ended up going to uh, work for a, a movie called The Amazing Pan Adventure as a translator. I remember we spent that. Six, I think it was six weeks down in uh, Sichuan and Jiujiaigo, which was, was great. Was a Disney film, right? Uh, I think it was a Disney film. Yeah, it, yeah. it was. It was great. It was great because it was Jiujiaigo when you know we had the run of the place and there were no tourists. So it was. A, it was an amazing place to be. And I went back, graduated from SAIS. At the time, my, my girlfriend was getting her PhD at Stanford, and so I went out to the Bay Area and ended up staying in the Bay Area for 10 years, and, um, doing basically nothing to do with China. Right, but, but getting involved in Market Watch, right? Uh, eventually. I mean, the first company, they, they, they joined this little company that had some business in China and um, ended up having to – it was already well along when I joined, and they hired me because they had a bunch of problems. And so we ended up winding that down, and then the Internet happened, so we ended up starting – out of that little company, we ended up starting what became Market Watch. Okay, great. stayed there for seven years. And you, you worked there as uh, on the editorial side? No, nope, never a journalist. Really? Always never on the business okay. side. Uh, always a suit. Um, so I have, have a lot of experience in trying to build media, online media and subscriptions and, and selling advertising. But it was never – always stayed away from being a journalist. So then you came back to China eventually after – Well, you sold it, right? Right, you sold it uh, after – Well, the company was sold. To? To uh, Dow Jones. And uh, then came here, tried, uh, tried my luck doing an online game startup. Yeah, um, was, which didn't end nearly as well. In fact, it what was it? Mushroom, burned, red, red, mushroom, red mushroom, red mushroom. That's right. Crashed and burned into millions of little pieces. Little mushrooms. Yeah, but they weren't even edible, that. unfortunately. <laughs> 
Or it's like, uh, welcome to China. Welcome back to China. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, you know, the thing about China is you're always paying tuition, it seems like. Yeah, stay another 10 years, you'll do fine. (laughs) Someone will do fine. It won't be me, right? So you were blogging for a while. You were doing this Bill Bishop's blog. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been sort of dabbling around the blogging. Well, that's when we uh, we first sort of came across each other. must have been 2004 or so. You had Bill's Due. Right, right, right. A type pad blog, which suddenly there was this new person on the scene. I remember quite clearly because... Uh, you were the first other sort of English language China blogger that wasn't younger than me and wasn't sort of, I mean, there were some people who spoke good Chinese, but everybody seemed bright eyed and bushy tailed. Some of you listening to this may know who I mean, no <laughs> criticism, but suddenly was this other person who seemed to be not perhaps more cynical than me, or at least <laughs> had seen more. <laughs> right. And that blog was mostly about internet, the Chinese stocks listed in the US. Right. Right. And it was very good. I mean, it was very niche, but it was... And from there, you kind of um, branched out. You started doing two blogs. One of them, of course, was Sinusism, but the other was called Digicha, right? Right. Which was... Similarly about the internet and and just, you know, it was interesting and got some good good readership. Whatever happened to that? It's still sitting there. I just haven't... um, you know, it's too, too hard enough to do one. And, there, you know, the problem with all these blogs is, as, as you know very well, I mean, there is no business model, right? <laughs> you know, and so, and so at some point, at some point, you basically have to, you know, that's well, why, you can, I mean, you look, at, you look at the life cycle of your average China blog. I mean, it's all through the FT. I, mean, I heard No, that's no, I mean, <laughs> Jeremy has built, Jeremy and Dan Wei, I mean, the way he switched his business model and built a lot of equity value. He was not, he, FT did not buy a blog. They bought a lot more. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing research yeah. as a yeah, service it's a for, much deeper, since 2006. Much, it's right. not, it's not. A, totally. A, 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 Totally, yeah. totally different. Um, but kind of Bill, when did you actually s- decide to do a daily newsletter? Because I didn't actually remember. It's sort it's of three years well. Ago. Here, no. What happened was, so, so I had the cynicism thing, and then I had, you know, basically, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or two years ago, I just sort of had a little plug-in in WordPress where sort of every it would actually read my Twitter feed, and it would I could tag things in Twitter, and it would just create a, like a daily post of stuff to read or st- links, right? Stuff I read, and then. Um, I started paying more attention to the blog last, probably last February, last March, when all the sort of the you know the Haywood Bushley stuff, and and frankly, the the reason I got more interested was back to what I said earlier, which was there was just some crazy reporting going on about sort of you know I mean what was going on and you know oh Borshin said Borshin said this so I'm like you know it was, it was just sort of and as this was went back to the classes I took with Miller and so you know what? hey I can add I, I'm not doing anything right now I can sort of add to this conversation so that's when I started doing it more seriously and then it became a newsletter because one day there's something on the blog and and Hong Huang who has at the time had like four and a half million followers on Weibo she put it out on Weibo and said hey this is a great you know this is really interesting if you want to know like the English language view of what's going on with sort of the Haywood Borshin stuff. And, you know, it was great for about five hours and then lots of traffic and then the, the – Then you got GFW'd. Got, got blocked and have been blocked since then. And so then over about a month later, I decided that probably it made more sense. Badge of honor, mate. You know what? In many ways, it's it's like a prophylactic probably. Um, it's good. It, it, it convinces you that you're not going to build like a massive media business in China. Yeah. Long before, before you realize that it's hopeless. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but so that was that was. Uh, I mean, that was probably the the primary incentive to then just switch to an email newsletter, which actually has turned out to be, I think, much more uh, interesting than just having a, a, a website where people, random people, come in and you know give you page views. So, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering how you put this thing together. I mean, because you you are reading this this huge range of stuff. 
um, you're clearly reading it enough to you know to be able to to excerpt it or at least to be able to sort of comment intelligently on on the pieces that you're reading. What what kind of I mean, how many hours are you putting in, and and where are you sourcing all of this stuff? I, I mean, how do you just have like uh, a, it's get, it's RSS? it's getting it's getting a bit unwieldy and it's taking longer than I would like it to. But I usually, um, you know, I read a lot just in general. Um, but between the reading and the actual the, the actual sort of you usually get up about five thirty in the morning and then try to put it together and and the entire process of added up throughout the day I usually spend probably five to six hours a day on it. You usually get it out by by ten or eleven, right? Uh, yeah, it it would be earlier. Except I got to get my kids off to school, walk them to school, get them back, and so I lose about an hour in the morning. But you know, it, it's it's over the years. I mean, I'm fortunate that I have this academic training, so I can read Chinese very quickly. And and over the years, I sort of learned where to look and who to follow. Um, not. Not you know on Twitter for sure, but but also sort of in the Chinese internet, and um, so I have a just a sort of list of places that I look every morning, and then there's always some random stuff that pops up, and there's some places you know I, I've built some lists on Weibo that are interesting people to follow who usually will kind of focus in on what's going on that day in the news in China, and um, and then you know the the best twenty nine bucks a year I spend is on this service called Pinboard.in, which is this bookmarking service where everything I read. You just press a button on my uh, Chrome browser, and it automatically a little window pops up, and it can add comments. It'll save stuff. I can add tags, and then ultimately I can build with a different plugin, which I can build it uh, a post in WordPress. Then I go in and edit. Oh wow, cool! Um, so nice. it makes it so I don't. I'm actually like sort of cutting and pecking and cutting and pasting links. So Pinboard's linked into WordPress. I mean, you can just yeah. yeah although although hey, if any listeners out there have uh, have uh, WordPress skills, I'm looking for uh, someone to help build me a better plugin. What are you doing in terms of sub- subscribers right now to the newsletter? Uh, so interestingly, um, the, it's more sort of contributors. There, there's consistently since I started asking from begging, threatening for money, um, about six percent of the people who are on the email list uh, pretty much actually consistently continue. have actually given me some amount of money. Okay, and, and so there's ten thousand people on the list. So about six hundred people give me money. Ten thousand people. That's pretty impressive. Um, it, thank you. It's it's. Um, you know, it's not a business it makes, but it's an it's, it's a good list. There's some really interesting people on there. Okay, so six percent of them. That's a very good number, Bill. I mean, I, I've I used to say uh, that there are about ten thousand people in the world who want to read news about China in English every day. That's about it. And so if you, you have all, all of them on your email list, you won the internet. Well done. Well, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the I mean, that's actually the problem I guess I have with the business model in, in the sense of having known a bunch of different yeah, content a, websites about China. Is, you know, 10,000 isn't, I mean, it's really a great number to have as a subscriber but base for the, this. But in the scheme this of a media business, you, it's, it's, it's irrelevant. Will, it's tiny. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, is yeah, it going to no, grow? No, that, no, that's, that's the issue, right, is, is you know, and the, and the way the way you look at the newsletter, it's a very, you know, it's a commitment to actually trying to read through that newsletter. It's not a simple, short product yeah, right? right and i do mm. that because you know the pro the, the issue not the issue but one of the one of the characteristics of the list is there are some people who just want a little bit of news but there's some very serious china watchers who who read, want it all who, who read it and they you know there there are people who appreciate everything on that list. do you, do you have a sense for how it breaks down i mean how many of these people are are uh, are academic or you know, are scholars or i have some sense i think i'm going to run a survey in the next couple of weeks yeah to you really get a better to. sense be, i did yeah. one a, a few months ago and to see if anyone would pay, and they all said no. So, <laughs> um, but that was it was. I sort of knew Fuckers. what the answer was going to be. No, no, no. I knew what the answer was going to be. But, but, but the um, 
it's a, it's an interesting list of people, but Jeremy's exactly right. Is is you know in my my previous in the U.S. the business we had when we had. I think 10 million, you know, somewhere around 10 million people a month reading MarketWatch. Hmm. So you can sort of see the scale and how that, you know, the how you can build a business off of that in terms of advertising subscription. And then 10,000 is, it's a neat little list to have. And it's great if it's a, if it's sort of a hobby side project, but it, but it, but it's hard to see how it becomes actually something that can, you know, make a decent living, especially when you have two kids who, well, that's, I get, who, I wanna... who's projected Based on my last discussion with my alma mater, who's projected freshman year tuition bill is $86,000 a kid. $86,000 a kid. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know please I, contribute I, to sign I feel the pain. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, the good thing about it is that it does always give you what they used to – the word I used to hate, but a platform for doing other stuff. I mean, it's not a waste of effort. No, it certainly isn't. I mean, you've got this deal book column, yeah. right? Right. Got, that's very pre- another, prestigious. but sure. It ain't paying the school fees. Uh, uh, no, yeah, um, but um, the the um, uh, no the platform you know that, that's ultimately the model is if it can you know if if you can come build it into this thing this platform where you become you sort of hit the speaking star. I mean ultimately this is it, it's the way you make the money if you're in this kind of business is either you go do what you do which is you build a deeper research operation in the back right and you sell yeah. deeper reports or do custom research. And or you go off and you sort of hit the speaking circuit, right? Uh, and it's sort of get right. people who are going to pay you some amount of money to go talk about China for an hour. Hopefully they're going to be paying you, you know, about as much as we're paying you for this appearance. Which is, well, 15000 did we agree? 15000 well, Was that euros or? I thought it was twenty five. Okay. you know. Guys, I'm, I'm, Checks I, in the mail. Our budgets are, you know, so out of control here. Yeah, you know, I, the, the line item for the co- cocaine and the hookers, you know, it, it kind of. Shh, Jeremy. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> you know how it is, yeah. This is the South African Pop-up Chinese. Uh, line item. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, anyway, Phil, I mean, one of the things I've always admired about uh, the stuff you do on. <laughs> Easy killer. Can you you got to chop it a little finer there. It's going to run down your throat and it'll burn. Anyway, uh, what international media outlets would you say out there are really killing it in China today? I mean, you don't need to name names of individual journalists, but you know, who, who do you think is really killing it right now? Oh, there's some great journalists in, in China. Sure. And I mean, I'm talking about uh, Anglophone right now. I mean, right. we'll move on to the Chinese journalists in, in a second, but... Well, you know, Bloomberg's doing a great job. Sure. Financial Times, New York Times, the um, the the Journal does a good. I mean, they all they all do. You know, they all have their strengths, right? They all have their strengths, right? And, and so, um, you know, I mean, one of the unfortunately one of the one of the best uh, foreign reporters here, John Gardot, is leaving in June. He's going back to Australia. He writes for was it the Fairfax Group? Yeah, so sure. Sydney Morning, Morning Herald, Herald and, and The Age. And, the Age, yeah. And um, and he's he's. Been a guest on our show too, right? Of course, he's great, and he so he's gone in June. Uh, unclear who's going to replace him. Actually, there's a, a little bit of an exodus going on right now. I don't know if everyone is out about it, so let's not you know. Won't need names. Yeah, we but, won't need names. But there are several very good reporters who are leaving China um, between now and the end of the summer. Uh, one or two may end up in Hong Kong, so still covering China, but from outside the country. But it's going to be very interesting because you're. You know, this is normal, and people rotate in, ro- rotate out. So you know, there's going to be sort of a learning curve, most likely, unless they send people to replace them who've already spent time in China. But one of the issues for, for I think, some of the media companies uh, whose journalists are leaving is that um, 
getting visas is very difficult. So, so at some of the, some of the big publications, there may be quite a hole in their China coverage for several months. Yeah, but as all the new ones come in, your dance card's going to fill up quick, boy. I mean, you know, they're all going to be wanting to have lunch with old Bill Bishop, right? So. I, I also saw uh, Malcolm Moore today. The, is he uh, leaving? The Telegraph. No, no, he's not leaving. Uh, and um, Malcolm pointed out to me that there was another issue with replacing journalists who are leaving is that China is not a place where you can send somebody who's really junior. You have to have a little bit of experience. You know, you have to have some reporting chops to be able to take on this place. Um, and the air pollution story has created a yes. really, real, really big disincentive. It's it's sort of, you know, kids. I mean, because if they're senior, they've got kids and right. or young kids. You know, the, it's, the it's age a hardship post again. Unfortunately, it's, it's not a hardship just, post it's not just again. the air pollution. It's the food pollution, the water pollution. The but that's the one that right. seems to have caught the attention of the potential new bureau chiefs. Yeah, I've, I've heard it yeah. from many a people, many yeah. a person. Yeah, exactly. So, so it'll be interesting over the next it's a very six to you know through the end of the year because there there could be some pretty large media companies with with um, holes in their coverage, holes in their coverage of China at you know what's is definitely going to be an interesting next few months in China. When isn't it an interesting next few months? Right. What about Chinese media? I mean, there's got to be some gems that we're overlooking. I mean, let's start with things like you know, in general uh, political reporting. Uh, where should where would you point? Uh, sort of the, the the journeyman China watcher who has some you know reading ability and who who wants well the to best get a- the best in Chinese is is actually um, when it comes to policy and politics I actually still think it's Taijing okay um, that's sort of and outside Xing, party right media now. not Taijing but Taijing um, Taijing is very good too and he used to be run you know is run by the the former editor the former editor of, of Taijing but um, they're both terrific. Uh, Taijing, I think, is is has some doesn't quite have the cachet in the sort of Western world as Taishin does because Hu Hu Shuli is now with Taishin and she speaks great English and is on the conference circuit, um, and the Taijing guys are a little more um, low key. Low key. Um, then their English translations are bad. Yeah. You know? right. I mean, so, so, so the Chinese is difficult. And their English translations are abridged and not particularly and, good. And Taishin has actually ex- Taishin, pretty excellent. Taishin English. has better translations. Their translations are also abridged, but the English is usually not a problem. They're actually, their English site is going behind a paywall, I think, in next week or oh, a really? couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. I did not know They're that. doing the sort of have to hit five, up for five articles free a month and then the rest. Is That's there. the current vogue. All big media companies are doing that now. Five yeah. free and then you got to yeah, pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other gems that we might be overlooking? Economic Observer general? is very good. Yeah, EO is great. E- yeah. yeah, and they have a very good uh, English. Um, uh, what is it? It's EEO dot cn or dot com dot cn dot com dot cn. That a guest on the show, Eric Fish. Right, they have a very good English edition and they're good translations. Again, they end up being abridged, but you can get the general sense of what the Chinese article is about. What about for for business financial news besides the ones that you've already mentioned? Other things that we ought to be looking at. Well, you know, I mean, the thing. So, so one of the things that's very interesting is 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 part of the, the way I put together the the newsletter every day is, you know, I'm going to look at all the all the big portals. Um, my favorite of the portals in terms of the news site is NetEase News. Sure, um, they tend to be the most kind of of the big portals. They tend to be the edgiest, although with, with freewheeling comment section uh, as well. It's great. <laughs> yeah, although although I have to say it's pretty it's pretty uh, illuminating because especially these days when you go and look at you compare like NetEase or the Cena with the, with the QQ News, they're all the same. Basically, I mean, it's very, it's getting very. Yeah, all twiddledee, twiddledum. Excuse me. <coughs> uh, another <coughs> Beijing. I, you know, you got to love Beijing. Um, <laughs> okay, well, let's 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 talk. I, no, no, no. Okay. Um, 
Sorry, this is going to require some editing. I was going to say, Chinese language media, Chinese language media, what about the overseas Chinese websites? This is exactly where I was going. Thank you. Okay, with great Um, minds. Doorway, Pushin, yeah. Well, I mean, they're very interesting. I I, I look at, um, uh, like, what is it? The, I, I tend to completely ignore the the Falun Gong back ones. Like, well, yeah, it? the Epic Times, Epic Times, New Tang Dynasty. Yeah, um, uh, you know they they just fuckers are ruining my brand. Man. Well, no, I mean they just have, uh, the, <laughs> you know, they they they, they, they just they, they you know lots of people make news up when it comes to China, but they're not in China, and so they could not necessarily they don't have to make up everything they make up. So I have I have an issue with them, so I tend to ignore them. Um, Mingbao is the the website is. You know, interesting, but uh, again, um, you take it with great assault. Uh, Doorway is at this point, I think, among the most interesting. They don't really traffic in rumors per se. Um, they well, clearly have that? some connect. No, no, no. Doorway looks at policy stuff. They don't look at sort of so and so's out or so and so's going to jail. They, they've actually they stay away from kind of the gossipy stuff, and they really focus on sort of more policy issues and. When they talk about appointments, they tend to be pretty accurate in what's going on. I think of them as sort of the Willy Wolop Lamb of the Chinese. Oh, they're way better than, yeah. <laughs> than, than him in okay. terms of what's going on. Do away, you say. I mean, you they've think got some. They clearly have some sort of. They've uh, got some juice now. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, since yeah, February they've got of some last juice, year. but they do publish stuff that is. Well, they all um, do. They all do, right? Right. They all do. They being, you mean Chinese overseas Chinese websites? Right, the doorways oh. and the Boshuans and the right. Yeah. Now, what, what about Asahi Simbun? Of course, it's a Japanese publication, but uh, I, I, they've really kind of captured my, I, I my interest. I can't pronounce this year. the guy's name, but they have one really good, uh, uh, Ken, a really good reporter. Just the one, you think? Well, I mean, they have a good team, but there's one especially that they write some very interesting stuff. They seem to have some very well placed sources. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you know about that? That I don't, outfit? I don't know you really don't know anything about that outfit. Okay, okay, that's. I just really know that they're very interesting. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So, okay, so Bill, I mean, the new leadership has only really been in power since November or since March, however you want to count it. Um, but so far, if you had to give them marks, you know, if you had to grade them, I mean, how do you think they've handled the whole series of crises that have fallen under the lap? I mean, eight, seven, and nine, and the Iron Earthquake in Sichuan, and diplomatic disputes with Japan and with India, North Korea. Problem. I mean, it's been a pretty hectic few months. Well, if you remember when 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 Obama became president in two thousand and eight, right? The 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 day after the election, what the Onion's headline was, right? Remember the headline? Yeah, I do. I, I, Black man gets worst job in America. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so think of a, you know, find a similar headline for Xi Jinping, right, on the November 17th, <laughs> yeah. right? Black-haired man gets worst job I mean, it's an impossible in job, right, in, in, in some sense. And and so how do you grade them? I mean, it's not for me to grade them, right? I mean, I, I – but of course, of course, since I live in Beijing, they get an A+. It is for you to grade them. No, it's not. It's not my country. It's, I'm a guest here. It's not for me to grade them. I think that – I grade your country's leaders – yeah, how, how are we? I mean, as I think as we're speaking right now, Obama might be giving uh, that that IR. Uh, no, no, it's it's still a while off. Oh, Obama is great optics, lousy execution. That's how I grade him. But anyway, anyway, anyway well, this uh, isn't about Obama. no, but I, but I think um, you know there has actually been so the earthquake was was looks like it was handled pretty well. It was also a much smaller earthquake than two thousand eight. So sure, it's of sort of apples to oranges, you know. It's hard to see the economy isn't doing well, but that it wasn't doing well when she took power. What about this speech last night? Um, oh, it was I guess, on the 13th, so it was two days ago, uh, Li Keqiang's speech at the uh, third Sounds plan. great. All about, you know, cutting – it almost sounds like Reaganomics. Cut taxes, <laughs> cut, cut regulatory. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of – 
yeah, yeah I mean, saying like, the right things, but but the but but you know every step of that way, and he points out this oh this this investment project where they had to go through was it like twenty seven twenty seven departments yeah. and fifty approval layers, and you know, every one of those layers somebody's making money. So mm-hmm. you got to cut those. Good, that's great if you can cut them, but then you got to figure out how these people, you know, these people are. They're gonna be some very unhappy people. Yeah. Right? So so the speech is the easy part. Now getting to where it's all cut is gonna be where I think. And they're only just getting started. It's only been what five months since they six months since they took power. But still, I mean, it was a pretty radical speech. I mean, I, from from the beginning to the end. I mean, he he really hit the the right notes, at least from that kind of neoliberal perspective. Yeah, yeah. You can always yeah. hope, right? You can, one one can always hope, right? Right. And, but I mean, you look at if you and, look and at Kaiser generally does. <laughs> <laughs> This is true. No, no. I mean, I, I'm not gonna. I'm, but I'm not gonna. I, I, I agree with Kaiser. He said all the right things. But the thing is, is what well, you're talking about, Obama. It's easy to say that, right? Now it's going to be. How does this really? Now I will say this though, that 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 you look at, you know, the, this this one of the eleven vice chairman of the of the the you know the the form development reform commission, mm. right? Um, NDRC. NDRC. Uh, Liu Tianan just got got taken down. Right. Do you really think it's a coincidence that he got taken down the day before Li Keqiang gave a speech about effectively reducing there the power no of the NDRC? Right. There are no coincidences. Right. So, I mean, so, I, I so think, that's potentially a positive sign that there's other stuff going on. I mean, in and I think there's been in a, a pretty good. I, I mean, I asked you to do the grading, but here uh, I would submit that um, that the the correlation between talk and walk is pretty good so far. I mean, in terms of anti-corruption, in terms of of, of, of that sort of austerity. Well, and, well the I mean, so, so so on the corruption side, I mean, the the the, the austerity ca- campaign and the sort of you know has has certainly hit and has taken a bite out of a lot of business. I have a friend who's got several restaurants here. I think he may have eaten at one. Um, who who had many a time yeah. done a booming business in sort of the local officials, and his revenue is down th- a third since uh, basically since January, and has no pros- no hopes that it's going to come back anytime soon. Right, right, and he's not even located all that close to either. No, no, he has one on the east. He, he oh, has he does, one on, on the, the west, west side, side near okay. the um, near NDRC. Tai. Oh, okay, near yeah, NDRC. Right. Ah, for a reason. <laughs> so, okay, you know, in the last month, I know Bill, you've probably been listening to us once in a while. Uh, we've really not done much by way of current affairs on Seneca. I mean, even though we ostensibly say the show is all about it, you know, we've it's been you know sex and humor and healthcare and gender issues and other sort of what we like to call long shelf life topics. Um, but what have we missed? I mean, what do you think were the biggest and most newsworthy, noteworthy stories of, of, of the last month or so? Well, Jeremy, you, you can talk about the the, the, the poisoning case. Oh no, we're not going to do that one again. We hauled that out last time. Which, briefly. by the way, where, so so drooling. Okay. okay, it was a big deal last week. Where is it? It's gone. Yeah, well, it, it it's it's remarkable. I mean, it, it, it's forget. It's gone in the Western media. It's it's gone off the Chinese. It's gone off the Chinese internet. Well, where's H seven N nine? Well, that's actually gone. I mean, that that's it's. This is what's expected. If it didn't, if it didn't, if it didn't hit, actually become pandemic. If it didn't hit right. in sort of March, April, then the expectation was it would die out by June. The issue is going to be next winter. Sure. Right. So what what have we missed? Okay, so obviously, sound. Well, I think I think one thing you missed, and maybe it's harder for you to talk about because you're Baidu, but um, it's bubbling up now because. You know, uh, Murong Shetsun wrote that thing in the Guardian, and is is there's there's a very significant uh, new set of call initiatives, call campaign, call crackdown. Over basically, I think it started about a month ago to rein in the internet, to to squeeze it in tighter, and specifically to rein in certain 
public intellectuals who have well, they have a whole bunch of things. They started in April 16th with that circular about sort of, you know, having to get approval to post foreign news anywhere, and it was directed at journalists on Weibo. As they started with journalists on Weibo, right. then they then they go after. Um, Online rumors again, and they're going after the, the the big V's, you know, the big verified accounts, sure, that, the public intellectuals, about, right? um, and and it's very clear these aren't, you know, but this isn't sort of a one-off thing. This is you can sort of see other pieces, but it's part of something much bigger that's going on. Yeah, it's part of something that's been going on since they opened the first internet connection in like right. No, no, you're right. But but so back to your question about grading these guys, No, no, it's not new. But what I think is, you know, there were there were people who were hoping that maybe it was going to be different after the 18th Party Congress and there would be change. But it's very clear that you really have to be in a different sort of ether to think that the political I, you, situation is going to be different yeah, now I, than it was you, before. You know, the one, one of the best you things... Pass I, me that ether. For that? <laughs> <laughs> the ether. One of the, the best things I've read uh, about China in a while was an interview with the one of the authors of that book about Bo Xilai and the Chongqing scandal. Um, Ho Pin? The Ming the Mao book, I, I, right? I, Was it Ho Pin or his co-author of that book who said basically like, I don't know why people in the Western media continue to be, believe that there are liberals and reformers yeah. in the Chinese government, yeah. which is what I've been saying for years. No, I we, agree. I think we, all, we all agree with this. I don't agree with that. I think that's nonsense. There are, there are reformers in the Chinese government. Well, well, reform to what? Reform the party away or reform right. the party to be more, more responsive and, and – The latter – and and more um, consultative, right? The latter, right? the latter. But the Western, a lot of the liberal. Western discourse is around liberal reform away the party and become. More that's like not called us. reform. That's called regime change. Right. right. That, and, and but there are people who get confused defi- about but that's this an issue. Absurd definition. We all agree. We we agree with this. Okay. Well, I do anyway. Um, I think one of the interesting stories that uh, I think Bill, you I'm sorry, wait, uh, why would you have to finish? So okay, sure. So what? What, what was what was your point, Jeremy? What was your point? <laughs> The point is that there are no liberals in the Chinese government who want a free press. So this is just going to always, you know, I mean, this isn't going to change. It's not. I mean, why do people think that Xi Jinping will come in and suddenly Weibo will be free? Freer, freer. smoking? Right. But the thing is, is it's not freer. And so I think. It's not. And, you know, you're looking at, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, right? It's China and how many many people's hopes and wishes and predictions have been dashed, right? But if you, if you look at where we are six months after Xi Jinping took power, it looks very clear that he's a very strong, what I call neo-dungist, wow. which is you're going to see hard, you know, you're going to see a lot of neo-dungist is a good, is, it's a good, that's a good phrase. But you, the political stuff is where Dung is on the political stuff, and we know where Dung was, right? Sure, but, but and, just to the point about internet freedom, I'm freedom. This 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 notion, this isn't a a a unilinear continuum. Okay, it's not like you can say it's less free, more free. I mean, there's other dimensions to it. Just the sheer volume of discourse going on. I mean, there there isn't a single issue that defines it. You know, whether it's they may be cracking down on the big V's, but uh, there may be other areas of discourse that have opened up. In I, I agree. I mean, right, there, right. there's so, always interesting stuff. So, so I mean, I don't think it's useful. I don't think it's useful to say there are no liberal. Pr- 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 uh, you know, pr- but pr- but it is not useful to think that there are people who, who value the idea of freedom of speech. I, inside Nobody the system, inside in the, the Chinese system. government is committed to that ideal. No, no there's no. not there, one there single are person certainly people, committed. There are certainly people who understand that uh, it is a useful thing to bring to bear the, uh, the, the oversight of a liberalized netizenry. But they uh, will over... not fight for it and they will not be in a oh, senior no, they position. Oh, yeah. They will not be in a senior position. They will not fight for it. So that's my point. 
So that's the illusion that people should get. Well, one over. of the illusions, no, I mean, but to, you no, to your point, is the whole thing about Wukan and Wang Yang. Right? Remember, Wang Yang was like the great liberal Democrat. Well, that, that, that was misplaced, but no, but but you see that repeatedly, right? Where where you have, you know, well, I mean, we as Westerners it, come in and we we have a certain way we view the world and we have a certain where we want the world to be, and so you know, I mean, you generally you end up looking for what you think is confirm your views of the world or your hopes, and that was an incident where that. That up, whatever you want to call it, you know, rebellion, which is not really what it was, but whatever, uprising in Wuhan was handled in a nonviolent way. And then it was the Wuhan model. And this is, you know, the sort of this is where China's going because it was a it was a, it was a dramatic shift from the way they were right. have been prosecuting sort of the stability maintenance. But but the idea that this guy is somehow going to push like democracy Anyone who, who's going to pin their hopes on an individual like that? On, yeah, but, on but I mean, come on. How many, how many times have you read that? I mean, you, you didn't crazy hear me here? say it. No, no, you're not crazy. It's, you didn't uh, hear me you, say you it. You read it frequently. It's appalling, but, you know. I'm curious what's going to come out of this Kunming protest today. You, we were, Jamie and I, or Jeremy and I were on Twitter, and you sort of reminded people that the – what was it? The Dalian mayor spoke in 2011 at the PX plant, which I believe is still running, even though they turned it off. <laughs> Whatever. You know, they move it like five kilometers out of time. And everybody's, oh, democracy. Oh, this, you know, the people are standing up. PX. Now, t- when was the first one? 2007 in Shaman. PX seems to be the one thing you're allowed to protest about. It's parazylene. It's a, it's a, it's a petrochemical product. I think it's used in plastics and polyesters, it's, it's right? A burly chemical. A burly mean. chemical, right. very burly. Josh, no, but it does seem to be the one thing you're allowed to protest against. And then the protest is over, and they move the plant like ten kilometers away and poison a bunch of peasants who don't have Weibo. Uh, you know, so you know, I. But you know, I remain well, optimistic. Well, okay, so no, but so so this is we're talking about a little bit. But to that, but and this is an article that unfortunately I don't think will be translated fully into English. But the cover story of. This week's Taijing issue is about the issue around dealing with the two main, you know, the two big petrochemical companies who, who have, you know, they're, they're refined this oil that's of lesser quality, which is, contributes a lot to the smog right. in Beijing. But the article says, well, one of the ways, one of the things they need to do to make the ga- quality of gasoline better is to build new plants and invest in more plants. But then the people won't let them. So it's a very interesting article where it sort of talks about it's not as simple as saying, oh, petrochemical companies, bad. It's how do you as a society figure out how you're going to have the, you know, effectively balance the, the costs and benefits of one set of pollution that's going to help offset a whole different set of pollution. It's a very is, interesting article. And this is when I think technocratic authoritarianism. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there's a couple of there's a, <laughs> Enlightened despotism. <laughs> this is a magazine <laughs> making the article. Anyway, okay. I'm going to shut up now. You know what's, what? What's I, next I, on the there, agenda, there, Kaiser? There, there are a couple of a couple of things that are next. I mean, there's two things I want to, I want you to talk about, and you can do them in whatever order you want. So st- you you got to slow down, man. It's like that eight ball is almost. Anyway, um, the, the Sino-Japanese relationships. Uh, the relationships. Uh, the relationship. <laughs> uh, you, you've been, you, uh, <laughs> do we have to talk about this? We don't. We, uh, we, we do, actually. Uh, you know, because I think you've been making some of the more interesting comments uh, in, in uh, you know, out there on Twitter and everything. You know, you haven't shied away from taking down some of the, you know, more Gordon Chang-esque types, nor have you, you know, or, or, or you know, gotten all hot and bothered about the, the, the latest silly utterance from, you know, Luo Yuan or from... Um, you know, some some retired general, but at the same, uh, you've also been pretty harsh on Shinzo Abe for the Yasukuni statements and for about you know his his waffling on the word 
invasion and aggression aggression right let's um where, where are you on this right now, Bill? I'm hoping for an errant North Korean missile that blows up the Daoyu Senkaku Islands. <laughs> Otherwise, there is no solution. I mean, that, that's, that's to, to, be, to be serious. It's, a, it's an intractable issue. There is no solution here. Yeah. Well, and, I'm not and, you know, the thing is, from a, as, as an American and, you know, from the, from the perspective of the interests of the U.S. government, the, the, the comments from, you know, Japan has its own very complex political environment that I wouldn't even pretend to say I understand. Right. So these guys have to make certain statements to, to you know, basically just like U.S. politicians have their set of dog whistles. You know, what's Japanese for dog whistle, right? That's why I think it's sort of an ideal situation as it stands right now. Both sides can can, can use it, can rattle sabers and do whatever. Right. To, to, but the to problem is Japan, what Japan says, you know, these politicians, it doesn't just upset the Chinese, it upsets the Koreans. Right. Um, and other countries in the region. And from the perspective of the U.S., as we're trying to, you know, we're building this, call it the rebalance, call it containment, call it whatever it is. You know, Japan Japan is is integral to that effort. And if they're out there effectively saying things that maybe they they wouldn't say if they didn't think they were protected by Uncle Sam, at the same time upsetting other members of the the, sort of the alliance in Asia – yeah, that's not a useful thing for the U.S. government, and it's not a useful thing for U.S. interests. And so I would hope that the U.S. government is doing its best to try and um, remind the Japanese politicians that this may not be in their best interest long term. Uh, what do you make of the whole flap over the Ryukyu and Okinawa statements? You know, I wrote a paper for Dr. Miller about these islands and who owned them, and didn't have an answer then. So, I mean, I think I think what the Chinese are doing, you know, there's, there's been a three-part series in People's Daily. The first two were written by the same two scholars at the Chinese Academy of right, Social Cass, Sciences. Cass, well, there's one today by a different one, sort of, and, it, and it's the subtitle of the article is Clarifying the uh, Diaoyu Islands Issue. And so they started out by sort of questioning sort of who actually owns the entire Ryukyu Island chain, which includes Okinawa, right? right? Which is a very important, has a very important Obviously. U.S. base. Um, but, I certainly I have Chinese friends who have said for a while, oh, you know, Okinawa is really ours too. But I, I don't think that the Chinese government seriously thinks that they should take Okinawa back. I think they're just using this as a lever to say, if you really want to push this, then we're going to keep pushing too. And this is how far we can go. Right. And then this way, now the compromise position then becomes, well, then you just cede. Right. Um, well, but that, but see that, and, and that of, may of be the, the, the logic in Beijing, but that logic isn't going to fly. The, the, the Japanese can't, I mean, the problem is the Japanese can't, just like any country, especially in a country that's a democracy where you get elected out, especially in Japan where you seem to have a prime minister every 10 months, you know, if they were to say, okay, we'll just give the the Senkakus to China, they're out of jobs. They can't do it. So, again, it's an intractable situation. Before, China didn't have the inclination or the capabilities to actually make much of a fuss, and now they do. And so why are they going to back down? There's no reason for the Chinese to back down. (laughs) Interesting. And then the final uh, topic that I wanted to talk about was uh, the near overlap of, of state visits uh, by Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas and by Benjamin Netanyahu, of course, Prime Minister of Israel. Um, what, what did you make of, of, of Beijing's sort of foray into Middle Eastern diplomacy? Well, I think, you know, I, I, I think if you look at it in the context of what you know, Xi Jinping's first state visit, he, you know, he went to Russia, he went to the BRICS summit, he mm-hmm. went to, where do you go in Africa? South Africa? Congo, Tanzania. Yeah. Tanzania, and then, yeah, Democratic Tanzania. Republic. Tanzania, sorry. Um, I think that he, 
um, you know, China also is now what the largest importer or near the largest importer of oil from the Middle East. They have to have uh, be very cognizant of their relationships with the Middle East outside of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, They also have a lot of interests with Israel and a lot of trade. And so I think that what I understand, and I think somebody, some Israeli newspaper wrote this, that actually the Chinese paid for Abbas's trip. They just told him to come here and paid for his whole trip. Sure. And so, so in some ways, I think that they, they do want to take a more assertive role uh, in trying to solve this problem. But I think also it's sort of a no-lose situation for them because they now look good in, to, to the Arab countries in the Middle East because, they're you know, as they've historically been, they've, they're on the Palestinian side. Um, but at the same time, they gave Netanyahu a very, you know, nice welcome and nice trip. And so I think, though, you know, Xi Jinping, you know, the fact that he sort of presented, you know, reiterated this, this four-point peace plan, um, he put some of his prestige on that. And so I think it's more than just a cynical, we're just going to do business with Israel, but we're going to have the Palestinians here to give us cover. I think actually you may see China s- believing that there are um, there's potential to do more in the Middle East, potential to deal with this specific issue, but you will have to maybe look at it in the broader context of what their overall foreign policy agenda may be that ties into the BRICS bank, this sort of realignment. Um, in some ways, it's back to what was the policies in the 1560s about sort of the not the non-alignment movement, but also sort of the you know the oh, Africa, right. Latin America. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Don't you think that it's, in this particular it, case, it's more of you know, the Chinese have very cunningly figured out that the Middle East so-called peace process just keeps on processing. And you never actually have to really do anything because it's not going to get anywhere. And it gets you some brownie points. Well, I think, I think that's, so they want to participate yeah. in this. You invite people. You suggest there's a meeting. No, no, that, that's, you that's, get positive press. That's the cynical, and that's no the commitment, cynical scenario, right? which yeah. I think has, a, has at least a 50% probability. There, there's <laughs> also the possibility that there's something, there's something more going on here. Because you, if you if you look at where China foreign policy seems to be going, it looks like she has more ambitions than just sort of cynical mm-hmm. status quo. But okay. we don't know yet. We don't know yet. But I would tend to agree with you. I'm, I'm actually, as you pointed out earlier, I'm probably at least as cynical as you are about most things. Yeah, I mean, your site is kind of called cynicalism, cynicism, right? Uh, it's a, isn't it a pun? Is it a pun? Cynicism. I, I just course. figured I should have is, a name but, uh, that was sort of Chinese but didn't have China in it. But cynica. Most decidedly, is not. Is not. It's. Is not. It's, it has it's nothing like to do with cynicism at all. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's the academia, Seneca, you know, things like Judaica, you know, America. Seneca, Judaica. Uh, let's move on to the. And thanks. That was a, a great discussion, guys. I, I want to move on to the section uh, when we make recommendations. And let's start with Mr. Goldcorn. Well, I have a recommendation today. I've never done this, and I've always criticized you, Kaiser, for doing it, especially because I once read a book that you recommended that you hadn't read, and it was crap. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, but, when did uh, I do that? I, I just, <laughs> I'll tell you later. Um, I'm not going to defile your name on air, but I'm going to recommend something that hasn't quite happened yet. I've been occasionally contributing to these conversations, as they call them, on uh, the Asia Society website, Sinophile. Right. And there's one that I think should be published by the time this podcast is on what is good about China. Because, I mean, all the ones they've had obviously have been like, you know, food safety scares, right. China being a mean to Cyber everybody. hacking. Cyber hacking, China collapsing, all the usual things that Westerners love to talk about how bad China is. And this one will be on the good things about China, which is something I think we should also do a podcast. So what did you write? Because I'm actually on this this sort of 
same group, but I haven't contributed anything. What I have not written it yet. I'm going to go home and think about what, what I love they about China. Me to ask? But is it is it what you love about China, or is it what China has been doing well? What China has been doing well, not what I love about China. But I mean, you know, uh, yeah. My God, I mean, that's a that's a huge list. I could. There's China's been doing a lot of what, things. Like well. what? What? What are like? Like I'm just curious. What would be on your list? That's too long for me to get into right now. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, you've already. Been I, I mean, look, the the, the, the basic optimistic. one that every like Wu Mao fifty cent party person will tell you, but I agree with them is that they've lifted like a fucking billion people out of poverty, and that's still you know Impressive. going on. Well, I, I don't you actually know. like to use the active verb lifted. I think they got the fuck out of the way and let people Whatever they did, they did it right so that people who used to be eating, you know, leaves from, you know, trees are now eating <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> beef. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <So>. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. All right, Jeremy. Bill, what do you have for us this week? Um two 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 well Three things, but I'll be quick. The first related to Chinophile is Orville Shell, who oversees the Chinophile project, has a new book coming out with John Delury called Wealth and Power, yeah. which I think is going to be published by Random House in June. And I, I had a brunch with Orville over the weekend, and I got a copy of the book, and it's a, it's going to be terrific. Yen Fu and Liang Qichao. It's, very, it's and, going to be a yeah. very, very impactful book. I actually so, have read a couple of the chapters of it. It's great. Yeah, and, yeah. And, I really like John Delury. Right. And then the other thing is if you're just because it's – Maybe there's a director desk for China. I don't know. But uh, I think it's FX Channel has this great new series called The Americans about director desk uh, sleeper KGB agents in the U.S. And it takes place in the first year of the Reagan administration in D.C. It's, it's a, a terrific great, show. great show. I cannot wait for season two. Season and it's one. available on iTunes. It's also in your local DVD store. It is. Yes. Uh, although we would never I condone. bought it on iTunes. I did buy it on iTunes. Good, good for you. Yeah, Bill, you actually recommended it to me, and I, I, I watched it on your recommendation. I, I loved it. It was totally addictive. Uh, my recommendation also has something to do with espionage, about cyber espionage, uh, and not in the Reagan administration, but currently. It's uh, the latest New Yorker piece by John Seabrook. It's called Network Insecurity. Unfortunately, it's paywalled, but if you're a skilled hacker, I think you can probably find it. Anyway, or just pay. pay. Or just pay. Yeah. yeah. There's, it's there's, good there's to pay option. for content that you value, even if it doesn't have a paywall. It is. I agree. <laughs> Paying for media is good, people out there. Pay. Yes. Pay. Okay. Next week, Seneca Premium. Uh, no, actually, I, I can promise you right now, Seneca, Seneca, which is an absolute labor of love, uh, will never be. Uh, and we, we we never you know yeah. we never pay. No, if I if I switch cynicism once a week, then I'll, you know I, don't, I won't care. This uh, podcast is brought to you by Baidu.com. <laughs> <laughs> As always, that's 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 understood. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for coming thanks on. Thanks for and, having uh, me. And I'm glad those antihistamines mostly worked. Maybe it was the coke though. That no, it was the cat hairs. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, we will see you next week. On oh, actually, I'm going to be in Italy. All you next week, Jeremy. Oh, that's right. Kaiser, uh, just so you know, Kaiser's no, 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 going to no. be the guru. What is it? The guru? No, 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 no. Meet the guru, it's, it's, right? It's, it's Meet the guru in Italy. Look, okay, for, David, uh, look cut for a link section. next week on Citizens. Cut this section. Cut this section. Actual cut this section. <laughs> video of Kaiser the guru. We'll see you guys. in Milano. I think we have to do that again if you don't want to reveal your, your whereabouts, Kaiser. <laughs> Are you getting paid for that, I hope?